examine your heart of hearts, how warm are you in terms of your faith? Today we're going to examine Laodicea, and that's the seventh church addressed in the book of Revelation. And on this topic, nothing good can be said about those who are lukewarm. And they are repulsive to Jesus, who will spit them out unless they repent. Serious words, and it's going to take us to a serious conversation. So thank you for joining us. We are Kingdom of the Logos. But on that serious conversation, there is good news. There's good news in repentance, and that's one of the beautiful things we're going to find. But anyways, back to our introduction. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And you got several hosts today. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and who else is with us in our studio? I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Pastor Anthony Alegria. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Well, as you can see, we are in our new studio. We mentioned that a little bit last week. We may need for some people to give us some name suggestions. We used to be in Cord Purgatory, <laughs> um, thanks to the wonderful purchasing of indulgences. Not really. <laughs> Those are, are bad. But thanks to wonderful transitions, we are now out of that. We've talked about some things. I would feel a little bit guilty if we called this like the barn outside of Bethlehem or something like that. It's almost a little borderline idolatrous there. I, I don't want to say that we're... Eh. Anyways, send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. Thank you for joining us. We're here to have a great conversation on the book of Revelation. We've spent so much time going through churches one through seven everywhere from ephesus to now today in laodicea we've made full circle well we are going to be talking about this we hope that you send us your thoughts questions and comments you can email us at kingdom of the logos at outlook.com but before we go any further let's open up in prayer so pastor anthony would you pray for us today as we come to study this text i will in the name of the father son and holy spirit may the meditations of our hearts here in this studio and in the audience and the words of our mouths be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So as we're together, we are going to adopt a bit of a new format for our program. We're going to try to go back to sort of the classical ways of thinking. And what we mean by that is we want to understand really what we're looking at, what are the arguments that are set before us, and how do they create a system of logic in the world around us. And all that is a bunch of fancy speak to say we're going to be doing critical thinking to really understand where we're at. And I presume if you're out there in our audience, you're someone who is interested in looking at Scripture with a bit of a microscope that is, is beyond just an immediate approach. We want to really find something which is deep in there. And all of this is going to help us think better about not just God, but many areas in life as we go to apply our faith and walk the walk which we are called to walk. So aside from all those uses of the word walk, I want to open <laughs> up with this question. When we come to the church in Laodicea, this church really doesn't have anything nice said about it. It does have hope still. There's still the hope in repentance. And we're not better for the people in the church of Laodicea. We're not here to say that we're better than them just because they're criticized by Jesus. But Jesus gives them a pretty strong rebuke, and he says some serious things to them. So opening thoughts to everyone here in the studio. Do we think this is going to be more of a stern look from, like, your mom or the district superintendent, or is this like full-on Pope slap that we get going here? If you haven't seen the Pope slap that lady, you've got to go check it. She's coming on. She wants to hold his hand. He gets over there. And... This church gets a chastising, and I think by the end of this program, we'll be able to answer, is this a stern look or a Pope slap? Does that sound like a fair question to answer towards the end? Yeah, I think so. Sound yeah. fair? Yeah. Anthony? Fair, fair enough? <laughs> We're going to have a, a new scale to look at things at. If you haven't seen the Pope slap, it's a good scale. All right, so let's go ahead and read our scripture, and then we're going to look at it under the skin. We're going to get a little bit deeper. 
Brother Anthony, I know you just prayed for us, but would you go ahead and read our scripture today out of Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22? Again, I will. So, and to the angel in the church of Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you, and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen. I'm standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thank you much, Anthony, for reading those texts. Ken, some profound things you find in there. Jesus says, I love those whom I reprove. So that's fascinating. That's a nice scripture to keep under your belt and come back and reference. But again, we find that strong language of conquering. This is a real serious thing. The kingdom of God is not a place that avoids conflict, but instead we are called to conquer, not just randomly or not just because we want to be the next king barbarian, but because we want to be co-heirs with Christ and he has called us and instructed us to conquer with him. So let's start examining this deep down. Now, like I said earlier, I want us to kind of go back to that classical thought, which really looks at the arguments of what we're examining. And for those of us who have been here for a while, I know, Pastor Mike, you're a little bit newer to this. Anthony's newer to this as well. But when Pastor Amanda and I first started this, we opened up our program talking about the difference between a primary expression and a medium. And we're going to be adopting a new formula for looking at scriptures and anything we're going to be talking about. And the first step is, is figuring out the primary expression of what we're looking at. So to give you an example of what I mean when I say that, if you go and you look at a painting, say you're looking at the Mona Lisa, or you're looking at Edward Monk's The Scream, what you're seeing is a beautiful work of art. In the case of the Mona Lisa, you've got a, a lady who's got a little bit of a, a light smile. You've got a particular color palette that's taking you a mood where it's kind of suggestive of something going on there. There's a lot of character there that's illuminated. And you're not just looking at paint on a canvas. The medium that you find is paint and canvas and stuff like that. But the primary expression is this whole world with this girl sitting there looking at the artist. With something like Edward Monk's The Screen, which is literally made with crayons and cardboard, when you look at that, you're not looking at crayons and cardboard. Um, if I were to get out crayons and cardboard, it probably would be entertaining in a mocking way more than it would be entertaining in a serious way. It's not going to be fine art. But you look at the screen, that picture where the guy looks like an alien and he's kind of holding his head and stuff like that, um, crayon and cardboard. The primary expression is what you're really looking at. And we come to this text, I want us to figure out what is really being said. Yes, we are going to look at the history. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, for those who are expecting the history, it's coming. But first, let's figure out what is it that we're really looking at in this text? Does that seem like a good place to start? So 
one of the first things that we find before we even get the message, you get this name for Christ that is Amen. Now, I don't know about you all, but that kind of strikes me really interesting. Y'all kind of, y'all give me some thoughts on that just initially. What do you think whenever you see Christ being called Amen? Is that strange to anyone? Anthony? It, um, maybe I shouldn't say caught me off guard, but it did. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard that title for Christ. Um, and in case it's not obvious, the person speaking uh, to the other six churches is very explicitly Christ. And here we see um, he's given the title Amen. And it's pretty well confirmed by the fact that uh, he was the origin of creation. Uh, the, a- the actual word there is beginning of creation, as in, you know, the word that was in the beginning and that sort of thing. But um, either way, it is a title that's very, very strange. And I feel like perhaps maybe a better understanding of what the word means in its original language could shed some light on it. Yeah, we're not here to explain away the mystery of this stuff because this is mysterious, but we can learn about it. Pastor Amanda, would you, what are your thoughts on this and what does this word really mean? Okay. Well, um, in the, it's originally from the Hebrew language. And I think it's gone through, um, I think if you Google the etymology, it shows you it goes through kind of three different languages and all that changes really in the spelling. Of course, you're transliterating it into using the, the English alphabet. Um, but it, like really what mostly changes is the accent mark. It's one of those words that's been pretty well solidified throughout the ages. But anyways, in the original context, it's Hebrew. And it literally translates as truth or certainty. It's kind of a foundational uh, beginning word. So, and we've heard Jesus be described as truth, capital T truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so not your truth or what is the, the truth of, of someone's opinion or something like that. This is the truth. Um, you know, as a proper noun. But amen is just a, is a very interesting take on that. Very interesting. Um, so let's actually look at what else we find here. When we get into the message, this church is being warned because they are lukewarm. And I remember when I was in high school, this when when I was first getting back really involved in church, I was about a freshman in high school and you know, a lot of us, when we get involved in church, we're kind of wanting to do those. I'm going to read the Bible through a year thing. And when I got to this particular text, and I'd probably read it at some point in time before. I don't know. I know I've always been fascinating with Revelation, like so many of us are. But I remember getting to this text. And at the time I was in high school, I was dating a girl who was a church of God and had been to some of their services. You know, there were some speaking in tongues. There were things of that nature that were going on there. And You know, I thought that was what it looked like if you were hot. And I remember reading this text about being lukewarm and I was like, oh, I I don't, I don't do those things. You know, I have a Nazarene background and I'm not particularly charismatic. Uh, A lot of the people I know in church aren't particularly charismatic. And I was like, am I lukewarm because I'm not doing the sort of things that I see with this kind of wild eccentric, I get that I'm more charismatic now than I've ever been in my entire life. (laughs) But it, it kind of threw me for a loop. Um, Anthony, your thoughts on this? Well, um, within like various churches and movements, charismatic is very specific, if I'm not wrong. And it's not just like as we hear it, um, maybe if you're not familiar with a lot of church jargon and all that stuff, someone that's like smooth or very ex- simply expressive and all that stuff. But to be charismatic in the uh, Christian sense, which is not to say that you have to be charismatic, but... Uh, within various denominations and things. If you describe a movement as charismatic, there's involvement with things uh, like speaking tongues. It's very, very focused 
on uh, works that are very spontaneous of the Holy Spirit. I mean, very well, um, you can associate with like being Pentecostal, right? Also, would you say, Dylan? Yeah. Yeah, you, you could definitely associate it with that. Um, but again, what is written here is not that the word charismatic is not what's here in the text. It's not a question of whether or not you are charismatic, which is really a misreading that I had when I was young. And I feel like a lot of people might do that when they read this. Well, that that word in and of itself is one that has been really taken out of its original context. So you can, and and really taken on a whole different meaning this day and age. I think if you look at the word charisma, you have that same base root, but uh, we've now, uh, uh, you know, really uh, affiliated it uh, tremendously with uh, very, you know, energetic type of worship, tongue speaking, things of that nature. Yeah. Pastor Amanda? Well, I was thinking, um, I grew up in uh, going every year you went to a holiness uh, holiness camp meeting. um, And uh, even beyond the one we normally attended, if you spent your summer with Mamma and Papa, you were taken across the country to go visit other holiness campgrounds and camp meetings. And there is a tie, this, this, this idea of a mountaintop experience, which I think is what you're kind of not necessarily specifically referencing, but in general, even if we don't follow the charismatic movement or not, uh, we have these extreme experiences with God, and then we get to the, like, normal, ordinary, everyday life, and we're like, oh no, we've fallen into being lukewarm because we don't have that emotional reaction anymore uh, to the gospel, or we don't hear those wonderful worship songs, or, you know, there's things that, that are happening in the chemistry of our <clears throat> brains and our reaction to it that aren't quite matching up what that mountaintop experience. And so, yeah, we do kind of struggle with this but whether it is like being, like you're saying, to be hot or being uh, completely committed to Christ has nothing to do with your emotional reaction to it. Um, that God is the God of the ordinary as much as he is the God of the extraordinary. Um, and so we can experience that on fire passion for God even in those mundane events. And this is really something that I think a lot of churches struggle with. Um, and there's actually a monk, I mean, obviously, because we have this in, in like 90 AD or even after 90 AD written by uh, John, but uh, a monk in, I think it's like even before uh, the, the 1000 AD writes about practicing the presence of God in something as simple as washing dishes. Um, but yeah, so this, this lukewarmness or hotness or coldness really has nothing to do with your emotional feeling or uh, a, an experience, although experiencing God and those kind of emotional things isn't wrong, but that kind of passion has to transcend those emotions. And that is the distinction that we really need to make. When we're looking for the primary expression of this argument, what's really being said here, not what we kind of think it said or not what we have necessarily found in our own life when we just look at things from our own perspective. But Amanda's exactly right. When Jesus is talking about being hot or cold, this is a faith issue, not an emotional issue. And so many times we think this is an emotional issue, but when we sit back, we see that many times emotion is the crayons and cardboard that something like the scream is drawn on, or it's the canvas and the painting, or the, the paint that the painting the Mona Lisa is put together on, or the marble the statue is made out of. But the true essence of what you're really looking at, and this is where good Um, again, good critical thinking comes from is you realize it's much more than that. The emotion may be there and it can take on different forms, but it's much bigger than that. So about being lukewarm, finding out what really is said about this is Jesus is bluntly honest about this. So many times we do kind of have a temptation to be lukewarm. Um, It's a, a common thing where people get comfortable. It's sort of natural human nature 
where if you've thought started off your faith thinking it's emotional and then you kind of get out of the honeymoon period, um, you're like, well, if it's emotions, then it's kind of desirable to be lukewarm. But again, remembering what Jesus says here is that faith is much more than that. And those who are lukewarm in the serious matters of faith, Jesus is going to spit them out. That's not a very... Um, it's not a nice thing. Um, it's not, Jesus is not worried about, you know, the whole do no harm and the immediate thing. Jesus is looking for the course of eternity. And he says, those who are lukewarm, they're going to be spit out. Serious words. Something to take very, very seriously. Um, so many times people, they kind of wring their hands nervously and they sit on the fence between living with Christ-like conviction and then living by everything else that is out there, whether it be um, some false teaching in the church, whether it be something the world is really begging you to do, whatever it is. People oftentimes, they kind of sit on the fence. And you've seen this happen in movements in the church throughout history where people, they've delayed baptism to right before death because they say, well, I don't really want to go all in because I might sin after baptism. But you don't know when you're going to die at any age. So it's, it's a really risky thing to do. But there are people who have kind of gone into that lukewarm setting. Um, and Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out for that. So it's not a good thing. There are so many people in our world, and we've kind of here where we're at in the modern day and age, We've created this virtue that says, if you're tempered, if you're moderate, then you're, you're somebody who's desirable. But the truth of it is, and you see this in politics, you see it in whole movements, you see it even in things like the Reformation, which has happened. You can even see it a little bit in the history of the Church of the Nazarene. People who have that tempered moderacy, which is oftentimes implied as if you're virtuous because you're going to appeal to people, realistically, people are after someone who's more right. They want to see true conviction is what people really are looking for. And that doesn't always take the form of emotion. Sometimes it's just somebody being grounded who is very principled and says, this is what I believe. I'm a solid rock. Um, but people, in all honesty, they are moved by people who are either hot or cold. They're either a solid rock for this or they're a solid rock for something else. Pastor Amanda. And, and I want to say something, especially it's very specific to our tradition and any Wesleyan tradition. You might have heard of a phrase called Wesley's middle way. And it comes from this idea that between several different theological points on def different theological aspects, Wesley took kind of a middle way. This has, no, and this is where I think my personal interpretation has been a little bit messed up with this passage. Uh, Wesley's middle way has nothing about being on a fence. And we've used that, I think, as a church. Sometimes we've gotten into the habit of being lukewarm because we're like, oh, we're going to just not pick sides. We're Wesley's middle way. That's not what Wesley meant or even the, the generation after him that would take over some of his teachings and, and the, the um, I guess the administration of the Methodist church and later other holiness movements. Uh, Wesley never was someone who didn't have strong conviction. And even uh, in some of his lives, like you, you talk about how he finally has this encounter with God, even years after being a minister. And after that experience, he realized he couldn't be lukewarm. So even if some of his theological points were considered moderate or middle way, that's a, we're using that in a different way, language-wise. We're using that differently than when we say being lukewarm. So well, I just want to make that I clarification. Think, yeah, and that's a good distinction to make because not everything is a matter of faith. For instance, um, Pastor Mike over there wearing a green shirt. Um, decisions were made this morning. Uh, I came down to his house. Um, he doesn't live that far from me. I went and picked him up this morning, and he asked, you know, what he should wear. And I, I said, you know, I think the bluish green looks good on you. Not one that is really pertinent on the course of, of salvation. So there are distinctions we can make on that. Mm -hmm. uh, Anthony. That's something I was about to say. Um, maybe I am lukewarm 
about the exact precise order of events that's going to happen in the very last days. Some people want to be really precise and have it all worked out. All right, hopefully uh, they're not totally wrong or whatever. I really, I'm lukewarm about it. I'm disinterested, but I will say this is not a uh, general, this isn't just any lukewarm. This isn't all lukewarmness. This is the difference between being a servant of God and a servant of the world. Yeah. And so and it's, uh, that's sort of skipping ahead to what's the context of this situation. Yeah. But um, it's one thing to be lukewarm about, oh, I'm not sure about this uh, theological motif in the Bible. And another thing to be lukewarm about, oh, well, I'm not sure about my ultimate lo- loyalties to either God or the world. And that's something that uh, I read something recently in the book Almost Christian concerning how people don't want to expose their ultimate loyalties. And I think it's also true that a lot of times people just don't have ultimate loyalties. They're going to serve the master that behooves them at that time. And I think maybe that's connected to the problem of Laodicea. They're not ready to serve God all the time and ultimately be loyal to him. Well, Anthony, I'm going to, we can have discussion here. We can have serious debate. I'm going to actually posit that you're not actually lukewarm. I think you, we have better terminology for this. I think you're willing to confess that there are things which are the divine ministry the divine mystery that are above my skill, my pay grade to answer. <laughs> and I don't think you're being lukewarm about something by saying, I have full faith that God can sort out the events of the last days. I have full faith that there are things I don't understand about the history of the people of God and the history of what God has revealed to us and the history of things that God has done. But I have full faith that God is responsible for them and he can take care of them. I think you can still be hot on that issue and say, I fully believe, but you know, I may not have all the answers. So I think that's a distinction that you could make. I don't know um, if you <laughs> you want to respond to that or accept it. But I think lukewarm, what Jesus is meaning here is more this idea that you're on the fence. And you mentioned when people are servants of the world, you can be a servant of the world in the church. There's a lot of people who like to do that throughout the history. Yeah, and that's, when I, I mean, this is Laodicea. <laughs> you know, they... They're, they're some of sometimes they're cold, sometimes they're hot. They're really lukewarm. Sometimes they're going to be serving the world, and yet they're still known to be part of the Church of Laodicea. Yeah. Well, do you want to respond to what I was saying? Do you kind of agree with what I'm saying? That no, I understand what you're saying. Um, given the way that it's being used here, yeah, I agree with you. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Though, is that okay. like you can be on the fence about something in the last days, but to be on the fence about who whom you're going to serve in life is the important matter here. So. Well, I think, and again, even when you say on the fence about something in the last days, you're not saying I'm on the fence about whether the, what They're God's happening. going to do, yeah. but you're just saying I'm not answering for how it's going to happen. I, I don't know. Um, I think also the, the, the kind of the irony of all of this, though, is, or maybe irony is not the right word, is that the church there in Laodicea and anyone who's trying to be lukewarm, you almost can't be lukewarm because either you are or you're not. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say there aren't moments of doubt or even working through your faith and trying to understand it in times where there needs to be growth and repentance. But if you're going to kind of like what, what Pastor Anthony was saying earlier, there's some people who it's not that they're on the fence on who they serve. They just don't want to say it because they're, they're wishy-washy. They're, they're fair-weather fans. In that sense, then, you're not even a fan. You're not really for one side. Or, you end up being more against people than for. And this sounds really dualistic and a little fundamentalist. So I'm trying to make sure even I ride, not the fence, but appropriate theology here. But this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you don't pick, 
I'm going to pick for you. And of course, there's still free will and things like that. But but Jesus is saying, I'm going to spit you You're out. Gonna spit out. I You're, like yeah. wishy-washy. That's the, I think that's the the um, motto that this congregation needs, wishy-washy. Yeah. Little wish, and I think we all understand really what that means. That is what is being addressed here. So to the to the issue of of things that are being considered lukewarm, what is really in the text? So Jesus tells them, he says, this is putrid, this is gross. Jesus finds it grotesque to live in this wishy-washy, squish, not really believing, not really committing state. Um, it is repulsive. He actually says it is worse to be in this squish state than it is to be cold. And that's profound. That's not my opinion. That's not me coming. This is the the fact that the gospel comes. It is the most merciful and loving thing that has ever happened. And it is also the most severe thing that has ever happened. It is coming to say, I will cut you off from who you used to be. Your old self will die. You will be born again. It is very severe. And one of the things we find here is some very, very serious language. And let's talk about that a little bit. So in verse 17 there in chapter 3, Jesus says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered and need nothing. And then listen carefully to these words. He says, But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So a lot of pregnant pauses between all of those. Somebody's going to think I'm on an old B-grade TV show or something. Um, you really do need some like bad community theater Shakespearean like actor to to, to, do, like, that, to yeah. do this line. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm probably worse than that in all honesty. <laughs> but anyways, anyways, neither here nor there. Jesus comes, and these are serious, very serious things to say. But Jesus also says this out of love because he wants them to repent. So keep that in mind. We'll get there. But people who they're kind of wishy-washy, they won't really take a stand on the things that matter. Again, what color shirt you wear, it doesn't matter. There, there are things in this world that, that are not something pertinent to salvation, but on things that are pertinent, on the things of faith, these deep spiritual things. And there's a whole New Testament telling us what those things are. On those matters, if you are lukewarm, Jesus says, you are disgusting. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You look at those words. Not only does it tell you you look like a monster, you're somebody who thinks they're rich, but you're really poor. You can't see anything. You're totally out of touch with the world, and you have no covering to protect you in this world. Nothing. Pastor Mike, your thoughts <clears throat> well, on this? Well, you know, uh, spiritual warfare is extremely real, and, and you see this in the in the, the book of Revelation, and particularly in this, this letter, Jesus, out of compassion and love for the Laodiceans, is asking them, wake up, you know, can't be luke, lukewarm. You can't. You you got to be either ice cold or or red hot. And, and so you know, if you're going to go into battle, you can't go in out of shape. And so physically or mentally. But this is a spiritual warfare, and you need to be know who you are, who you're you're serving, and you need. And so you know, Christianity is is a uh, our faith requires action. Uh, and you know we could go into the James study or, uh, with that, and faith with without works is is uh, really not alive. But it has that same tone that James gives us here. Uh, but John is is directing, or Jesus rather, this is that John records that you have become somewhat complacent about your spiritual um, welfare, and there is warfare going on. All right. 
Let's all take a quick one word answer to this before we continue. From what we've read, if you just read up to verse 17, where would you rate this on a scale of ugly mugshot photo stare down to Pope slapping? Oh, wow. If I've got it, I'll, I'll go one first. word answer. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bad hand slap. All right, Pope slap. <laughs> Pope slap. I would go far as not just the hand one, but like full on smack in the full, face. Full oh, on Pope my. Slap. oh, my. <laughs> Anthony? I would second Amanda. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm, I'm saying this is a Pope slap in verse 17 where the, the Pope is slapping you. <laughs> um, but the first Pope. We, we will have a full answer for the entire scripture at the end. All right, so verse 19, let's look at something else because Jesus doesn't leave people. Pope slapped. Um, <laughs> when, when you get that hand slapped, you're not left there. So it says, be earnest, therefore. This is verse 19. Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you, and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So, very fascinating. There's always hope in Christ Jesus. That's something that we've always got to remember. Um, so many things in the world want to discourage us. We just got done talking about the Golden Globes. You know, it, it is an adventure where you're sitting there looking down into hell when you look at stuff like that. But there is hope, and we should not be robbed of joy because Christ wants us to have joy. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to conquer with him. Um, and when we do that, good things happen. There is hope for repentance. So many times we look at this and think, well, the, you just got your hand Pope slapped. You know, are you going to go recant your, your faith? No. Jesus does this out of love for these people, and he gives an opportunity. He's, op he's there standing at the door knocking. If you hear that voice, you can respond, and good things can happen. Any thoughts on this before we start looking at the context? Well, I think something in here that's very important about the grammar is I am standing. I am knocking. There's a present tense to this. It's not that Jesus was at the door or that one day he'll come to the door and knock, but that currently, right now, in this moment, he is calling this church towards repentance. And it's a good reminder, I think, that the time for repentance is now. Yeah. Um, and it's and and and, and the, it's not that like if you don't you know it's not like a infomercial where like call in thirty minutes or the offer's gone, but it is that the time to get right with God, the time to get right with your fellow human beings, with creation, with yourself is now. Why wait? Why yeah. why hope for someday one day that this hope is not something you have to anticipate will happen a hundred years from now, but can happen right now in this moment that there can be reconciliation, there can be that that fire sure. that ignites you to be red hot versus lukewarm and that the church doesn't have to wait for a 12-step program to come around to help them get there. Yeah, and talk about providence for a second. I don't know if our audience can hear the siren going on <laughs> outside, but that's kind of the state where it, right now there's a siren. We, the Where our studio's at and where the Jolton Church of Nazarene's at is right across from a fire hall. So we hear sirens all the time. But a fire truck just went by. This church is at a moment where the fire is there and the siren is sounding. You can hear it. The warning is there. You're in that present moment where you can do something about it. You have not burned up. You're, you're not being carried out in an ambulance or a body bag. Um, but you have a moment where you can choose. Jesus is knocking at the door. A choice can be made. Pastor Mike. 
Well, obviously a lot of times in apocalyptic literature, it's like there's no hope and there's no if and then. But there, in this particular letter, there is, if you open the door, then I will come in. And so, in other words, if we will share life with Christ and bring Christ into every part of our, our household and part of our life, then God is saying, I will bring you into mine. And this is a beautiful statement. Even though it's, it's, it's really not just an... A uh, you know uh, um, acknowledgement of you doing anything well. This is an opportunity for you to repent and come and invite Christ into every part of your life. And you know this is good good for for myself to to read you know and uh, apply to my own life All right, every sure. day. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so let's get into the context of this. So we we looked at what the actual message itself is. We're we're not just sitting around saying yeah that's some nice canvas they've got there you know <laughs> oh that painting is very nice but the frame is really great now we're not doing any of that so we actually looked at what the content of the message really was now let's look at the context of the message you know where's jesus coming from and where is this church what is the historical um, reality around this and why is it so relevant to us today so we talked a bit about the name amen earlier and jesus he is the christ he is one who is going to judge the living and the dead and there's going to be judgment one thing i will say from the angle of where Jesus is coming from that's very important for us in the modern day and age to understand because we live in a day and age in the church where so many people forget this. We do not live in the new creation yet. And neither did the church in Laodicea. Jesus is reminding people that there is going to be a judgment. You know, this whole notion that you could be spit out. It, it's real. Don't forget that. You need to be spreading the gospel. You need to be living Christ-like. And there is a need to be guarding against sin. Very important thing. So, Amanda, I know you found some interesting things on the use of the name Amen. So I'll let you share with that a little bit. Right. So I know we had mentioned the little translation of the word Amen is truth or certainty. Um, and because it has so sig much significance, it's usually not translated as any other word but Amen when it comes into our English language. However, um, in this context, uh, the word Amen has very little to do with the word we say at the end of our prayer. Um, and actually has more to do with its original meaning in the Hebrew and also has a connection with a passage in Isaiah 65 where it's actually talking about the people of God being saved, uh, repenting and coming back to God and God will be faithful to restore them. It is the God of faithfulness, the God of truth. As some of your, your translations may, may uh, translate that word, but if you literally were to translate that passage, it would be the God of the Amen. Uh, so again, all the names of Christ have significance for what then uh, Christ is revealing through John to these churches is this is the God of faithfulness. This is the God of truth. This is the God of certainty. Uh, this is uh, the God of the opportunity for repentance if you put it in comparison with its Isaiah passage. Pastor Mike, talk to us about the history of Laodicea. We know what the content of this is. What is the context of it? Where is this church really coming from? Okay, well, the city was founded by Antiochus II, uh, somewhere around 261, 246 B.C., and uh, it had a Seleucid foundation. And so Seleucus was one of the generals of Alexander the Great, and uh, as Alexander the Great passed on, it went and was divided up between four generals, um, the area that had been conquered. And so Seleucus was one of those generals. Well, and he took over what we would call Syria. Lysimachus took over the Asia Minor area, but apparently Seleucus moved over into this terio and took uh, some of the ground, including this city. Um, on the map, Laodicea was about 
40 miles east inland from Ephesus on the Lycus River, um, which flows into the Meander River. It's located at what is known as the uh, Gate of Phrygia. And out of the Oriental East, uh, the great camel caravans came down through the Gate of Phrygia and through Laodicea. This road came out of the east and went to Ephesus and Miltus, uh, and also up what is called Izmir today, but Smyrna in that day. Smyrna, excuse me. And so Laodicea, which is in a really spectacular place uh, in this great valley today, its ruins are largely covered up, I believe, with um, um, you know wild oats or something of that nature. But um, it's its name means justice of the people. And again, it was named for Laodicea, the wife of Antiochus. Um, and although there are several cities that have this same name, this was the most famous city of them all. When it comes to trade and commerce, um, uh, you know, between Laodicea and going on to the Phrygia Mountains, there was, a, there was this valley, uh, a great Anatolian temple of the Phrygian god, Minkaru, I believe it's pronounced, and this is the primitive god of that area, and the temple was the very center of all society, administration, of course, trade, religion, and there was a great market there, and strangers came from everywhere to trade. I, I suppose the market would be something like the, the market in today of Istanbul or something like that. Uh, or similar to that. Uh, Laodicea was a great place of wealth, of commerce, Greek culture. It was a place of science and literature. It boasted of an excellent, you know, medical school in which was very primitive to what we know today, but uh, here it was developed what was known in the Roman world as the Phrygian uh, powder. It's a salve for the ears and the eyes, and of course, in that part of the world, with all the sand, sand getting in the eyes, it, this was it, so they had a name for themselves. Um, it was also the center of industry for extensive baking operations, um, and and go on, and you know, it's, so it's a it's a very spectacular uh, place. You know, it's an interesting thing you said there. They this city. It was particularly known for developing a salve for the eyes and the ears. You're right. So when you find in that text this idea that I'm going to give you a salve that will allow you to see because you're blind and naked and you, you don't think that you're, you think you're wealthy, but you're nowhere near prepared for the world like you think you are, that actually really rings true for Laodicea. And again, I know we, we have a map where you can see all the churches. We've kind of come full circle here back to where Laodicea is, um, close to Ephesus, but we look at Laodicea and we hear this idea that they're blind, they don't realize that they're blind, they have a salve in the city. If we look at where we're at today, so many people, they do get lukewarm because there's so many options in the world. In Laodicea, you could go and you could involve yourself in the pagan stuff, it's the center of commerce. This place, it doesn't have one of the big libraries. Um, Ephesus and um, Pergamum, they both have some major libraries there. This place, it has their kind of their hospital. They're known for their medical stuff. So they've got a little bit of different avenue. But nonetheless, there's the temptation to not really fully commit to Christ and his church. 
there's this idea that you can kind of commit to a little bit of it. Um, you can go over there, get your salves, and I think one of the things that I don't know how much Pastor Mike went into it, but they're heathens. Um, yeah. We use that usually to describe things a little bit satirically, but there really is something to heathenism. And these guys are heathens. They're doing some bad stuff. And the church can't really make up its mind where it wants to be. And there's the temptations not to really get into it. Um, Pastor Mike, pick up a little bit. I know this is also a place where clothing is quite popular. I mean, clothing's obviously popular <laughs> in some degree everywhere. <laughs> we do hope. We do hope. But Laodicea is known for its clothing in particular, to to an extent. Well, it's a great place of commerce. And, you know, they made clothing there. And, and as you stand on the ruins of Laodicea today, and you can look around and see the nearby hills where Colossus is, it's located... Um, and and also, you know, you can obviously, I think, if my understanding is the Aeropolis or however you say that, uh, is where the hot springs came. So there's 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 more than just clothing that that's attracting a lot of this commerce, but it is a place of exchange and and a great you know place on the trade route. Yeah, and so you mentioned there that the hot springs are nearby. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah, you know the so you know when you look at the hot springs. It, in late June, you can still see the abundance of snow on top of the Phrygia Mountains. Um, and it's just south of Laodicea. It is visible from the city. Uh, Laodiceans built an aqueduct to bring that cold water down from the mountains. And when it left the mountains, it was ice cold. But by the time it made that trip all the way down the mountains to the city, it was lukewarm. And lukewarm water is not very good. We know that. And, of course, down in the valley where the Lycus River joins uh, the Meander uh, River, there are hot springs. And so the, the springs are so hot that steam is produced. And, you know, it's some of the hottest water you could probably imagine. Uh, and a lot of it is steam. But, however, they would take this hot water up to Laodicea. By the time they got there, it was no longer hot. It had become lukewarm. So either way, from the ice cold or to the extreme hot, by the time it was reached, uh, by the time the water reached the city, it didn't become lukewarm. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, the hot springs, the aqueducts, all that stuff. These people, they know what something lukewarm is. And like many places in the world, if you're in the ancient world, you may not have a lot of choices in your water, just realistically. So a lot of people, they're not going to have access to hot springs necessarily or super cold water or something like ice. So water is kind of whatever temperature you, you get it at. But these people in particular, they know the difference. They know what the hot water is like when it's fresh from the hot springs. They know what it's like after it's cooled down. They know what it's like when it's lukewarm. They know particularly what this means. And, and they're people of, um, you know, technology too, building that aqueduct, getting yeah. all that back all the way down there. So th these are highly intelligent people. And as far as the salve go, and I'm knowing take a little change here, but I mean, they were really uh, on top of their game. Yeah, they, they've got some skills enough where they think they have, you know, they've evolved, they've progressed to the point where maybe we don't need to fully commit to this whole Christ Jesus thing. And that, yeah. that creates a problem. Lukewarm stuff in general. So let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> um, pizza. Total change of gears. <laughs> Aqueducts, advanced technology to pizza. I don't, does pizza be considered advanced technology? I don't know, but I feel like I have an aqueduct um, of pizza going straight to my stomach a lot of times. But no, I mean, I guess that's the best I can do is making a making that as uh, unsmooth as possible. But <laughs> well, let, let's you know, get, I like warm pizza. Yeah, let's get to the like, question of pizza real quick. So, and I like 
I, and I'll eat pizza cold in the morning. So a lot of people think that pizza is either good when it's fresh or when it's cold, which is the school of thought that I come from. I don't like reheated pizza. Mm. And there is an optimal point where the pizza that's been out for a while, you realize it's not warm anymore. It needs to go in the fridge. And then I'm fine eating it cold. I actually think cold pizza is fine. I get that there are a few people who don't like cold pizza, but I feel like a large portion of people acknowledge the fact that pizza is good, <laughs> fresh, or then cold. What Do you agree with this, Amanda? Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. everyone would say the best pizza is obviously hot. Right. But if you can't have hot pizza, you don't want the, the slice that's been sitting out on the table for like an hour, an hour and a half. Like you, at that point, yeah, you either put it in the fridge, save it for breakfast in the morning, which, you know, of course is like the meal of champions, but anyways, or college students, <laughs> however you want to get there. But um, yeah, so there, there's something like, and also there's um, even in, um, oh, science, I don't, I don't have a better word for it, but there's a, when you serve food, if, if you've ever worked in a restaurant or um, anything that has to do with, with food, there are protocols in place where food either has to be from this temperature to this temperature really hot, or it can be from this temperature to this temperature really cold, but there's a danger zone in the middle where actually it's not just the food is unflavorful, but it can actually produce bacteria and different things like that can become quite harmful for your health yeah. if it's in that middle ground. And yeah. I will go ahead and say, I don't need any anyone to, to affirm this with anything. <laughs> Reheated pizza is not not that good. You never get it. No. Now, maybe if you the can, cold pizza, I can live with but, though. Yeah. Yeah. Microwave totally pizza is is quite quite bad. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. So another thing that's bad, um, coffee. People generally do this with coffee. Um, coffee's really good iced. I love to get iced coffee. Sometimes I just make it iced. And I, I'm one of those people who likes the nasty um, instant coffee. But a lot of times I'll take the instant coffee and just pour it in some cold water, mix it up, and then I'll put the ice in it. And then I'll put, you know, dress it up however I want to and make it cold. But um, coffee is one of those things which is not terribly good when it's lukewarm. You either like it iced, and you find this just at restaurants. You you really can't go somewhere and get lukewarm <laughs> coffee because nobody's really interested in that. Room temperature coffee. Yeah. Or like sometimes when you make an iced coffee and it hasn't, because it's hot, it's brewed hot usually unless you do a cold brew, but hot brew and it's covered over ice and you get it just like one or two, you drink it one or two seconds really before you should because the ice hasn't been able to like chill all of it. So you get this like weird slurp of yep. every temperature from extremely burning uh, to lukewarm to, to very cold. And it it's it's nasty. It's just like. Ugh. Yeah, that is that is an interesting <laughs> thing. Um, Another thing that's also not good watered down. We talk about stuff like Gatorade. Um, you get things like this. When I was young, I used to think that it was good to water down the lemon Gatorade. I like that because I always like I like lemon Gatorade. I like that stuff a lot. Um, but as an adult, I realized, no, no, it is not good watered down. But And that's really where it comes to matters of faith. Faith that need to be watered down. Um, it doesn't need to be lukewarm. So let's move into the last section of our examination of this. What is the pattern of logic that we find from this? So we've looked a little bit at its history. We found that it is very relevant to these people to talk about lukewarm. It's very relevant for these people to, to really contemplate not fully committing because of where they're at and the things going on in that city. When Jesus talks about a salve to let you see, they have some real world things around them, reminding them of this of the truth. You know, you've got so comfortable with your hospital that you forgot that you need to really be transformed by Christ. What do we find when we take and apply this to our life? So one of the things that we learn is that we don't need to be riding the fence on spiritual matters. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. All right. So another thing we find that is there's always hope in Jesus. Even after you get slapped by the Pope, 
And the Babylon Bee shows where you sold your hand on eBay because it is now a relic. There is still hope in Christ Jesus. Um, this is not the end. One of the things that we find, and I want to go and reaffirm this verse that I highlighted earlier, is that Jesus reproves those whom he loves. And this really is something to contemplate. Um, it's not a scripture that I hear people quote a lot, in all honesty. You hear some scriptures quoted a lot. This is one that I don't know that I've ever heard many people use very many times at all. But he does quite explicitly say to them, in verse 19, I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Very powerful thing. Um, just because you're getting reproved doesn't mean that someone hates you. In fact, quite the opposite. You, We should be reproving and disciplining those who we love. And Jesus should remind us that, that when he disciplines us, whenever we're chastised, it is because we are loved. So those are things which are really interesting. Y'all say that's fair? Big takeaways from the scripture? Mm -hmm. Um it, it is gross to be lukewarm, but there's still hope in that. Um, I wonder if that song Refiner's Fire comes from this a little bit. Are you all familiar with that? Maybe? Mm -hmm. I think I noticed something like that, too. Yeah. I, interesting thoughts. Um, Finable thoughts. If you haven't seen the movie that's out right now about Mr. Rogers, what's it called? A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? I think so. Yeah. It's a fascinating movie. It has one of the scariest scenes I think I've <laughs> ever seen in a movie. Like, totally shocked by it. Scarier than, like, The Conjuring. But it's a family film. Um, check it out. Um... Mr. Rogers said something fascinating there in the end. There's a, a man who is, is dying, and after they kind of get to the point where they admit, yes, he's dying, Mr. Rogers looks at them and says, if it is mentionable, it is manageable. And so many times we don't want to speak the truth about things. That's why a lot of times people get wishy-washy lukewarm. They don't want to speak about it. And that's also because they don't want to manage or address the issues. Jesus is talking about this with them because these are waters they can navigate back to him. They have not been condemned. Jesus is telling them, you have an opportunity to repent. Again, sort of like the siren that went by earlier, the truck is there, the ambulance is there. You've not been carried out in a body bag. You've not been burned up. You're not, you're not a charred few remains. Jesus is looking at you saying, I'm here, I'm knocking on the door. Those knocks are happening. If you repent, if you open the door and let me in, it's not just that it's going to be all and well. Like you're, you're getting wonderful treasures. You're going to be rich and wealthy in the things which actually matter. So we feel that's really the main takeaways. That's the patterns of logic we can take and apply in our lives. Sound pretty fair? Yeah. Well, let's ask some final thoughts. First and foremost, is this church still alive? Pastor Amanda? Yes. Uh, this one, I know we mentioned when we talked about last week with the church in Philadelphia, um, there was aspiration for this for the church of Philadelphia to be alive. And we were kind of like, hopefully that church is still alive in, 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 in many of our, our locations. Uh, however, when we come to the church of Laodicea, it's alive. And it's a sad thing. <laughs> um, it, Assurance. Yeah, there, there's a little bit more. Cause, and again, it's not about being lukewarm emotionally or you know, we're doing a hundred ministries versus one ministry or whatever. It really is this conviction, I guess is the best word for it, passion, but even passion kind of gets a, the wrong connotation, but really this conviction for uh, who you are and whose you are. And I think there's a lot of churches that are struggling with that because there are so many voices speaking into what we believe and how we should act that we're not always a hundred percent sure which one to listen to. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be well-rounded and well-read and, and understand the world around us. 
But when we allow things to speak faith and understanding and wisdom to us that are outside of the love and will of God, that's, I think, how we become lukewarm. Pastor Mike, is the church in Laodicea alive? Yes, it is alive. And I think uh, if we look at the church in the United States, the United States being a country of great wealth um, and technology and all kinds of things, you can see that you know, we still lack um, in those things that Christ pointed out if we do not stay focused on, on, our, on who our Savior and who our Lordship is, uh, the King of Kings, Christ Jesus. So, yes, uh, very pertinent. And, you know, even on a, a, a church or a congregation level, but for the individual, I think this is uh, very mm. pertinent, too, for each and every one of us, especially myself, to uh, reflect on my life, reflect on my calling, and, and respond and ask Jesus to come into every part of my life. So, Anthony, it's the church in Laodicea. I knew somebody was going to pronounce it wrong. <laughs> Had to be slipped in there then. Laodicea, is it alive and well? Definitely. Um, and I think there are definitely plenty of churches where this might, you, where you might be able to describe the majority of the church like this, but it is so well observable in many individuals. And I would say every church has individuals who have uh, become part of the spirit of Laodicea, yeah. if you will, where um, life's pretty good, life's pretty great. You know, uh, you've got a nice job, a good place to live, your family's uh, doing well and all those sorts of things. And it's easy whenever you have so many other pillars of fulfillment in life to forget the one which holds them all up, which is God. And for my own answer to this question is yes, it is alive <laughs> and well. And we talked earlier this week about the Golden Globes and we mentioned a little bit some of the things going on in other denominations, particularly with the Methodist. Uh, they're in a bit of crazy town right now. And I know for so many of us, especially in the Church of the Nazarene, we see all this stuff happen and we say, well, we want to be kind of tame. We don't want to be in crazy town. Um, we don't want to be someone who's radical, but the truth is Jesus tells us that it is better to be hot or cold. So this temptation that a lot of people have, well, they'll say, well, I'll just be lukewarm so I'm not in crazy town. The scriptures have told us, Jesus says, you're, you're better to be hot or cold than your petty lukewarmness. When I see those people who are wishy-washy and all this stuff, those are the people who are so repulsive. Now, still repentance. None of us are better than anyone else. There's still an opportunity for repentance, but this church is alive and well. Anthony. As uh, one of my professors say, if you're cold, and this is the part where he, th these are his words, uh, at least you're going to hell with your head held high. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who, per se, are going to hell, are on the path to death, and are sort of quiet about it. They're like, yeah, I'm just going to have a little bit of the path to death here. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I probably won't even end up dying. I'll just sort of skirt the path of death. It's like, no, if you're skirting the path of death, you're going to fall off the path of righteousness and you're going to die. Man, <laughs> well, respond just, to that. Just real quick, um, I want to say it was Martin Luther, but I may be wrong that said if you, or maybe it was someone even older than him, uh, someone like Thomas Aquinas, uh, if you're going to sin, then sin boldly. And actually, if you put that in the context of, uh, historically, uh, they are saying, because at the time I think they were reproofing, whether it was Martin Luther or Thomas Aquinas, can't remember which one, uh, and I may be wrong on both of them, but the context was, I do remember that, they were reprimanding the church and the church was saying, well, then we're just going to call you a sinner. And they were like, no, or even if I am, I'm going to do this boldly. So even in the midst 
of turmoil and disagreement, if you're going to stand by something, then stand by it and yeah. do it boldly is what they're basically saying. If you're going to sin, then sin boldly. And again, that's not an excuse to do bad stuff. No. And that, it, is, that is the not conviction. Not at all an excuse to yeah, sin. It is the conviction and the call that uh, in this world and in this life, you're going to have to make some choices. So you might as well do and be what you need in, to do and be. And as Jesus reminds here, does Jesus want people to sin? Does he want them to be cold? No, he wants no, them to not repent at all. and join him. Yeah, yeah. The whole purpose of this is I'm, I'm speaking of this. You're quoting Mr. Rogers, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. I am saying this out loud so you will navigate these waters and open the door and let me back in. That's the whole purpose of it. Anthony? I was just going to say uh, it was Martin Luther. Okay, thank And that you. was the okay. time where, I mean, he was making very, very serious what one might call accusations against the church, and yeah. rightly so. <laughs> and uh, it is better that you are faithful to your beliefs than to have certain beliefs and not remain faithful to them. I think that the person who thinks that, you know, you can only, um, you absolutely have to attend, attend church on Sundays and all that sort of stuff to be saved. If that person actually does that and believes that and is faithful to that, I think that they've got a better shot than the person who has all the right beliefs but is unfaithful to any of them and is lukewarm about it. All right, so to make sure that nobody thinks we're all here universalist that says as long as you live out your faith, you're fine. Oh, that's right. not at all what we're saying. Yeah. That's not at all what this text says. Right. So if anyone wants to walk away with that, that's not what the text says. Um, what we do find is that... Well, at least then you can, if you're not lukewarm, if you are totally cold, you can fully suffer the consequences of being cold and experience that and turn away from it more well, easily. I'm actually coming at it from a different angle. It's easier to deal with people and convince them to become hot if they're actually cold. Yeah, I would and agree I think with that. Jesus knows that it's it's, and I've experienced this as a pastor. If people would just come out and tell you what they're like, if you're counseling someone and they've got some sin stuff going on, if they'll just tell you what it all is, way easier to deal with than people who come in and pretend like it's not there. Like whenever you're dealing with evil, you're dealing with wicked stuff. If it's out there in the open, like it's full on crazy town, you can address full on crazy town. You can address full on Sodom and Gomorrah. But when it's kind of hidden and people want to be wishy-washy and not show you what it is, that's where the problem is. And that's really what this text is saying. Jesus wants to transform you and pull you out. But the first, before that can ever happen, you've got to be serious enough to say, I'm actually a sinner. This is the bad things I've got going on. Or you've got to be one who says, I was a sinner, but now I am saved. And now my identity is no longer wrapped up in sin in the way of death. But now I am a disciple of Christ. I am one who is of the way of life, which is led by Christ Jesus, and now I am saved. Jesus wants us to be able to positively affirm where we're at. And it's way easier to deal with people if they will just admit where things are at than if they're in the middle and say, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe not. And I think that's the thing, uh, you know, most 12-step programs start with the, the the first way of dealing, the first step to dealing with the problem is admitting you have one. But that is not the only step. It is only no. one of 12. And, and so that's a good way to keep tension in this passage is, yes, we need to look at ourselves seriously and admit and confess. But if there's only confession and no repentance, then you're just gossiping about yourself. So there needs to be that change that, of course, you cannot do within your own power. But Christ will come in and give you the strength and the courage to live a better life. And the scientific method also starts with stating the problem. All right. So <laughs> on a scale of Pope slapping which is big, serious stuff, to just a stern look. But we need to flip that from the scale of the small, stern look, the bad <laughs> mugshot, to straight up being Pope slapped or 
us we see in St. George and the Dragon behind Pastor Mike, you know, coming down to to get that dragon, you know, gross motor skill, chop that head off. <laughs> um, on the scale between those two things, is this a mugshot, stare down, or is this a Pope slap? I, I guess I would say it's kind of one step down from the Pope slap. It's still pretty severe like a Pope slap. Yeah. But there is opportunity for education, repentance, and transformation. And so that uh, you do not have to get left with just a Pope slap, but someone saying, now this is how you appropriately uh, the, go through the circumstance. The very clever answer. It is a Pope slap, but you are not left with just, with a, just pope a Pope slap. slap. <laughs> Pastor Mike? Uh, I want to agree with Pastor Amanda, but you know, this is coming from Christ. And I know we, we're trying to have some fun with this, and you know, but it's been uh, calling it a Pope slap, but it is a very severe um, you know, chastisement to say, um, you know, be spiritually mindful. Um, it's extremely important. And, you know, we are the people of God, um, the image of God. And, and I think sometimes we talk about, you know, being cold or not hot. But in the end, we are to be, um, you know, Christ is the ice cold living spring drink of fresh water. Uh, that is so enjoyable, and we should be a, an enjoyable people to the people that that are watching us. That we live in right relationship, and we should not be just you know going through the motions. But we truly are the people of God. So um, yeah, this is a, a pretty pretty uh, forceful um, chastisement. Anthony, just short of the Pope slap. Oh, you're saying just short of it? I'm going to agree with the man and say this is a Pope slap. But it didn't leave you with just that. Um, he didn't just walk away with a stern face. He he came back, and Jesus says, look, I gave you that chastisement, but here's the way out. All right, Pastor Mike, would you close us in prayer? Absolutely. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, you are the God of mercy, the God of grace, and you have um, given us your Son uh, to show us the way to live, but not only that, to bring us in right relationship through Christ Jesus' work on the cross. You are uh, our, our God, our King uh, in Christ Jesus, and dear Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray that we, not just myself, but everyone in this room and all of those viewers watching are able to take this study and apply it to their lives. And Lord, help us to be uh, people that, that, that you would want us to be. Come and live in our lives, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Right. With that, thank you for joining us. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, a lot of different podcasting places. If you'd like to donate monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. And remember to be faithful to your local congregation. With that, God bless you and have a blessed day.